The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think, feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger, or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Hey everybody, welcome back to your Gregoretti Show. I am your host, Nicholas Gregoretti's, and I am speaking to you from such a rainy, dismal Los Angeles. I don't know what's going on here. This is not what I signed up for. It's been raining for, it feels like two months, feels like I'm back in London. I'm starting to lose the will to live. But seriously, I've never been a fan of this kind of weather. I'm hoping it ends soon and we get back to that beautiful climate that Southern California is known for. Today's episode is an unusual one because it's actually a recording of a show that I was a guest on. I was a guest on the Elemental Wellness Podcast with Ashley Smith and Anna Gale. And the conversation followed quite an unusual trajectory. They were asking about me, but I was actually very interested in their opinions and perspectives, specifically on Chinese medicine and acupuncture which are subjects that they're both experts in. So it became not really an interview with me, it became more of an interview with them. I suppose the first half was me answering some questions about uh, my life and my philosophies, and then the second half was more me asking the questions of them. Either way, it was a really enjoyable conversation, and I think you guys will get a lot out of it, especially if you're concerned about your health or you're trying to maximize your health. So let's listen to the show with Ashley Smith and Anna Gale. Enjoy. Bye, everyone. This is Ashley and Anna. Welcome to Not Your Typical Wellness Podcast. Our guest today, um, we are very, very excited to speak with the inimitable Nicholas Gregoriadis. <laughs> He's an artist. He is a speaker. He is a coach. He is a wellness practitioner in many, many forms. So we're excited to speak with him today. Thank you for being here, Nick. Thank you so much, Ashley. I, I got to say, uh, for someone like you to say that I'm a wellness practitioner, that means I must be doing something right because, you know, every time I see you, I always joke that you must sleep in the fridge because you, you look younger than the time before. Love and now, now seeing, seeing Anna for the first time and, I realize you guys are definitely onto something. So I, I want to hear a little bit about that at some point in, in our discussion as well. Yes, absolutely. Happy to share all our secrets. Nick, this is our first time speaking and I was going over your website and obviously you have an amazing podcast and a book. And, you know, from your bio, I was reading that you you wanted something different in your life than the circumstances you were born into. And so that that pushed you to travel outside of South Africa. And then you found yourself doing an ayahuasca ceremony in Peru. And I guess my first question is, is what pushed you into doing that ceremony? What, what was it that called you to, to trying that medicine for the first time? So I think uh, Ashley's probably heard this before because uh, I've told it to her husband, Thomas, but I always just felt that there was something, you know that movie, The Matrix, uh, you may or may not have seen it. Uh, Morpheus says to Neo, the protagonist, he says, "You, you've known it was there your whole life. You know, it was a, there was it was always there, like a splinter in your mind." And I always had this 
this splinter in my mind, this like this gnawing discomfort that was like just something was wrong and I could never put my finger on it. And then I did a very uh, small ayahuasca ceremony, a short one in London. And I wouldn't say I got much out of it, but it was interesting and it like it opened up my mind a little bit. And then just suddenly this this voice just kept telling me, you've got to go to the jungle. You've got to go do ayahuasca in the jungle. And it just would not stop. It just wouldn't give me any peace. Like I'd wake up in the middle of the night and this voice would be like, you've got to go to the jungle. You've got to go to the jungle. And then a friend of mine, one of my best friends called me up and said, hey man, I'm going to Peru to drink ayahuasca. Do you want to come with? And I was like, wow, okay. Um, <laughs> this is clearly a sign. And so, yeah, I went for that, for that 10 day trip to Peru and had the the medicine there and it, it was it was a very profound experience incredibly profound like so I, I always say that my life is two points there was before that night the, the night of the, the last ceremony which was December 22nd 2012 the last night of the Mayan calendar and then and I really look at my life it was it was like that was the night I was born the work you were doing with or your practice in jiu-jitsu and and what you were you know, your other endeavors. Like, how did you come back to the real world after that? The thing is actually that it's so interesting that I got back to London and I was, I used to love living in London. I thought it was so exciting and I, I thought I'd never get bored of that place. And I got back from this trip to Peru and I was like, I just can't, I can't live here anymore. I was just, I realized that just there was something in my frequency that had changed that was just incompatible with, with that frequency. And I remember my landlord at the time, he said, oh, I'm putting up your rent as well next year. And I was just like, okay, that's my cue. I'm out of here. So that's when I actually left London. And, I, and I'm convinced that that change was precipitated by or, or caused by the that ayahuasca experience. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, um, I used to love New York. And then one time I went there and I was like, I never want to come here again. No. <laughs> yeah. Because the free your frequency somehow changes, and then whatever attracted you just it dies somehow or changes. Yeah, really interesting. Absolutely, I think it's it's like I've come to this perspective that you guys you've heard that expression your vibe attracts your tribe, right? Sure. Yeah, but I think there's another side of it, which is what's not your vibe repels you, like just literally pushes you away. It's like when you take two magnets and you flip them around and try and push them together. They like just naturally repel each other. And I see that all the time when, when I meet people, I might think this is such a cool person or I might like walk into a really cool environment. And if it's not like resonating with me, it doesn't matter how much I want to enjoy it or how much I want to form a connection with that person. It just won't work. We'll just naturally repel each other. And I find that really, that super interesting to me. Did you, were you pursuing, like, were you practicing yoga? Were you meditating? Were you doing all of these kinds of things before you started uh, the ayahuasca experience? Well, it's interesting, actually. Like, what happened is, I haven't really spoken to anyone about this, but up until the age of about nineteen or twenty, I was, I was quite a strict religious, like Christian, and mm. you know, I'd, my mom had brought us up in this very strict religious household. But I'd always, I'd always thought some of it was kind of dumb, and like it never really like made sense to me, but I was so afraid of going to hell, like I just stuck to it. And then when I was, I think it was 20 or 21, I was uh, I was on vacation actually in London. I'd, I'd gone to take a vacation in London and I picked up this book that was talking about all the errors in the Bible. And I remember that was the first little chink in the psychological 
armor around my belief system that appeared. And and then eventually, like, I just could no longer believe that that um, religion in the way it was taught to me. And at that point, I just was like, no, nah, I, I don't believe in anything. Like, I just was whatever. Like, I'm done believing stuff. I'm just going to be a, a scientific materialist. And then one one day, I I was doing this meditation program, an audio meditation. It was it was um, I can't remember what it was called. I found it somewhere on some arcane corner of the internet. Downloaded this MP3 file. And it was basically like this drum beat, this like really like heavy drum beat. And I thought, cool, I'm going to close my eyes and go with this thing. And I remember closing my eyes and falling into this kind of trance. And then it was the weirdest thing. It felt like someone like smacked me in the front of my forehead. Like someone just came and whacked me, like literally like slapped me as hard as they could. And I remember like waking up with this start and I didn't know what, what had happened. I was like, what, what the hell was that about? And from that point forwards, I became... It's almost like it unlocked something in me and I just became really interested in stuff that was out of the ordinary. And to answer your question, it's a long roundabout way of answering your question, but it was only once I really did ayahuasca that I saw that, yeah, okay, this is not just like a fantasy. This stuff is real. There is something on the other side. There is a veil between between this world and many other worlds and they do exist. It's not just people telling themselves that to make themselves feel better. You know, it's not like they actually exist. So the ayahuasca greatly, um, or it confirmed that and then greatly sped up my exploration of alt- alternate, alternative methods of living and altered states of consciousness. Mm. Do you find, like, when you're practicing jujitsu, I, I don't really know a lot about it, but do you find that it's it's functionally a moving meditation or no? Sometimes, sometimes, but it's difficult because it's it's a combative thing and, and like, I find that, you can get there are there are glimpses of like you go into like a flow state, but generally it's quite. Ashley's seen it. It's quite. Uh, what's the word? It's it's very physical and very intense and combative. So most of the time you're just trying to stop yourself from being strangled, you know, or like or you've got this big sweaty guy with his shoulder in your jaw and he's trying to crush your skull and you're like, it's kind of hard to get all zen and and, and blissed yeah. out when that's happening to you, you know. So so not yeah. really no, if I'm honest. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really helpful because so many martial arts, whether they be like Tai Chi or Kung Fu, there is like a spiritual aspect to it. So I was just curious, like how that shows up practically, like in your practice of jujitsu. It does show up in the fact that you have to be present. Like it's, it's you, your performance degrades really quickly when you're not like 100% there. So in that matter, in that um, regard, it does, it really brings you into the present moment because you're like, I wouldn't say fighting for survival, but you, you've really got to be you got to be present, yeah. which is always a good thing or almost always a good thing. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I struggle with that aspect of jujitsu and and martial arts in general that are combative. I feel like I've, I've become hypersensitized to the, the violence in this world that we see everywhere all around us. And, you know, Thomas and I talk about this all the time and I, I have a hard time sitting peacefully with the sort of the entertainment aspects of combative sports. And, you know, he's like, no, but it's an art. It's a skill. It's a beautiful thing. There's so much to it, you know, and, and I recognize that and I respect it in that sense, but I'm like, but have we also become, you know, has it helped us to become desensitized to violence and combat in in our society? Almost like, 
people can't behave themselves. So this is why we can't have nice things. This is why we shouldn't have combat sports because people don't know how to behave properly. I struggle with this all the time. Well, I was talking to your husband, to Thomas. Uh, we watched UFC together, not this past weekend, but the weekend before. And right after we watched this UFC event, I showed him this uh, YouTube mini documentary about CTE and MMA. And CTE is becoming more and more prevalent in mixed martial arts. And uh, we both, at the end of it, we, we were discussing how, like, you know, should we really be watching these people destroy their brains for our own, our own entertainment and and we couldn't really with straight faces say yes you know i mean like yeah. it is pretty barbaric but i think it's something very primal and i mean look in in previous eras it was worse there were people fighting in the arenas and killing each other right like literally yeah. like we're being sure. fed to the lions and you know it actually if you, you spoke about how you're sensitized to violence and i think it's it's only someone who understands violence can really be sensitive to it. Mm. You know, so like, unless you've ever been punched in the face or like body slammed or like really known what it's like to get into one of these fights, like sometimes I watch it and I'm like, I'm cringing because I'm there feeling what these dudes are going through. Mm. And I think in a way it makes me, <laughs> it makes me, very loath to get into any sort of physical altercation because I know the costs. I know like, man, like this can go horribly, horribly wrong. And I think that's why trained people generally don't get into fights because they know like, this is not like, like you see on, you know, in the movies, this is a, this is a real thing that's really going to hurt and cause some sort of like maiming or injury or, so yeah, I think it could be argued both ways. I think that's a really interesting perspective. And, you know, I guess, when I, the thing that when I see, I think it's the the crowd that I see, like when I'm, if I'm watching a fight and you see like if someone is starting to, if someone goes down and the crowd just starts to go wild, I think it's that aspect of like those spectators okay. who are the ones who aren't the, you know, who aren't the fighters, yeah. who haven't been there, who get no that mentality. And you know, the crazy thing is, is I understand what you're saying because I remember the first time I went to watch a UFC event, you know, I I used to think, oh, you know, these, like these guys, just the bloodthirsty raving, you know, the crowd, right? It's, it's the, what do they call it? Um, like the plebs, right? Like just the people baying for blood. And yeah. halfway through this event, I was screaming just as loud as every, every one of them, you know, like it's, it's, it's addictive and like, yeah, you want to see action. You want to see the guy get knocked out or you want to see this guy get his arm bent or you want to like, it's. And but having said that, I will also say that I think it is a, more of a male tendency or characteristic to enjoy combat. I just think, yeah, there's no like misogyny in what I'm saying. I'm, it's, I just think it is generally, you know, we have more testosterone, we are more aggressive, and it's yeah, it's rarer for women to feel any sort of affinity for that. It does happen, but it's just rarer. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a fair statement. I don't, you know, I think there's an argument to be made as well that like having a healthy outlet for that aggression too can help minimize it out on the street. Yeah. I'd be interested to know, uh, do you guys, with Chinese medicine, do you, are there any treatment protocols for people who are overly aggressive or is it, is, is that not a thing? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, treating emotional imbalances 
certainly is certainly a um, a major part of our medicine, and I think that is okay. that is uh, special about Chinese medicine in that you know the basic theories pay a lot of credence to emotional uh, health and emotion emotions, and you know mm-hmm. we study how emotions impact the physical form. So you know I think in Western medicine there's always been this separation between the mind and the emotions and the physical body. But in Chinese medicine, um, they're very much connected and impact, they impact each other directly. Mm-hmm. So, not to interrupt you, Ashley, but it's also uh, it's a symbiotic relationship too, because not only do emotions negatively impact the organs, but then healthy functioning of the organs should manifest a healthy emotional state. So oh, somebody, see. yeah. So like if somebody is having anger or, depression in Chinese medicine, you go, okay, I know there's something going on with their liver system and I need to treat that either with needles or herbal medicine. Mm-hmm. So that's actually what really attracted me to this medicine in the first mm-hmm. place is because it, it isn't so reductionist as Western medicine can be, you know, sure. um, in terms of disregarding the physical impact of emotions. Yeah. That's something I'd, I'd love to talk to you guys about. I think Ashley and I have touched on this at certain times, but you know, it's Look, I'm sure everyone listening to this has heard this in one form or another, but generally Western med- medicine is, it treats symptoms, right? That's my understanding of, of allopathic medicine is just like, yeah, I'll, I'll take away the symptoms for maybe indefinitely, but the underlying root cause of what caused the symptoms to appear is usually not addressed. Mm. And I think I've been, it's something I've been paying very close attention to, especially living in big cities. I think Thomas and I were, were just speaking about this the other day, and, and modern life is not conducive to health. It actually takes an extraordinary amount of dedication and discipline and willpower to be a healthy person in the modern world. It's not the default. It's, it's not automatic. You actually have to fight for your health. And uh, I'd love to hear from you guys how you, how you generally approach that, like, with Chinese medicine, I'm sure this, it's, it's not one size fits all, but I'm sure you guys can think of particular afflictions that are endemic to our modern society. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting that you bring this up because I'm currently personally trying to uh, readjust my modern life in order to help my health based on Chinese medicine. And I'll give you the, I'll give you the short, short synopsis. So Basically, in the original book of Chinese medicine, the Neijing, written 2,000 years ago, they say, oh, you should sleep and eat according with the seasons. You should rise when the sun comes up. You should go to bed when the sun goes down. In the winter, you need to sleep more and eat more. In the summer, you can stay out later and all these things. Okay? And this is basically sort of disregarded by Western medicine as like folklore mumbo jumbo. And so recently, actually, Western scientists have discovered, and the, the scientists who discovered this and won the Nobel Prize, that there are these things they're called, I think they're calling them the chronos cells or the time cells. Mm. And that basically, if you can do this, wake up when the sun comes up, go to bed generally when the sun goes down. And they're also finding eating, you eat when the sun comes up, your last meal is when the right when the sun goes down, that you can reverse not only cancer, but certain metabolic diseases. Mm. And so- I am. I have a totally screwed up schedule. I'm not a good uh, Chinese medicine example. And so I'm personally trying to 
change my eating. So I'm eating during the day, eating breakfast, and then not eating um, at night in order to help like balance my liver system. And it is so extremely difficult. It is like I have to put like conscious, you know, extreme effort into it, discipline exactly what you're saying. And yeah, just to very, you know, support what you're saying is modern living is not conducive to health. In fact, it's doing everything it can to harm us, frankly. Hmm. So actually, I don't know what your yeah experience. Yeah, it, it just it makes me think about the principles of Yangsheng, which is the is nurturing life, which it, from this book that Anna was talking about, the Neijing. I mean, this is where these ideas come from. Um, these ideas of living a long, happy, healthy life. In order to do that, you have to live, like she said, in accordance with the seasons. This way, these whole foods and eat at certain times and eat when you're peaceful and you're not stressed out and rushing. And it's also about mm. cultivating energy and moving your body. And, you know, and that's another big piece is, is that, is that self-cultivation, that energy cultivation, which you do through things like meditation, through things like Qigong and yoga is another great, you know, source for something like that. But mm -hmm. is that it's nurturing life and, you know, and it's, it's bigger than that too. I mean, it's about relationships. It's about um, getting enough sleep. It's, it's all of these, these basic principles of health that we, that we know and that seem logical to us. But you're right. Our modern society has not taken these things into account in any way. And, and, and now it's like we're playing catch up, you know, and people try and force themselves into, a, uh, into health. But I think people go about it in a completely backwards way. Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. really, we need to slow down and simplify, yeah, and and kind of go back, go back to old ways of living, go back to less. And you know, we have this mentality of like more, more, more. We have to get bigger, stronger, faster, acquire more, more yeah. things, career success. You know, but but really, I think there's an argument for 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 stasis. Stop, slow down, less, try. Mm -hmm. This kind of it's so interesting. Reconnect. You bring that up, Ashley. You you sparked something in my mind. I I saw on Instagram last night uh, this little clip of this UFC legend. He was a champion, and then he he retired about twenty years ago. And there was a clip of him like shadow boxing with his shirt off. Recently, he's fifty seven now, I think. And I mean, my jaw hit the floor when I saw this guy because he is ruined like he looks like an 80 year old man like huge distended gut and like huge bags under his eyes and he just like he looked terrible and he was talking about like his comeback thing like he was shadow boxing he was saying i'm, I'm coming back i've been haven't been doing anything for 12 years and now i'm gonna get in shape and i'm doing carnivore diet and i'm lifting weights and i was just thinking to myself he's just trying the same strategy that he did before, like, which is go, go, go. Like Americans seem to, to be, it's infected the rest of the world, but it's really deep in America. It's this idea of like more is better or working harder is better or like torturing yourself is the way to, to health. Yeah. And I, I, I saw this guy, I just had so much compassion for him because he's just going to fuck himself up even more, right? Like putting himself on this extreme restrictive diet and overtaxing his adrenals with all this high intensity exercise and it's just like, it's not going to help, right? 
Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm interested in your opinion on that as well. Well, it's what it's what's particularly sad to me is like the what I hear from that is is like this feeling like that's all, that's the only way that I can gain value or love or acceptance too is like well I have to be high as well I have to be strong I have to be fast I have to be fit and then I'll be loved and accepted and it's like wouldn't it be beautiful as an you know as a fifty seven year old man if he tried a new way and found love and acceptance in the in a, in a new way in a different way you know and, yeah. and you know that's that's the painful part to me and and mm-hmm. we all do it you know it's i need to be skinny enough i need to have the right car you know this whatever pick your poison but it's all this like um cultural grasping onto ideas of what's going to really fundamentally make us lovable yeah like mm-hmm. this quest for happiness through through the physical form, through youth, through stuff. People aren't celebrating aging in this culture, you know, and or evolving beyond, you know, just your physical form. And there's this idea that I know in like Taoism and and other and many other religions and practices, I'm sure, there's just this idea of your evolution throughout your lifespan and and this kind of pinnacle of your personal evolution is to, is to recognize that you are so much more than your physical body, you know, and then mm. the end of life, you're like preparing to move beyond this physical form. And so you kind of have to be detached from that and find a happiness in, in other aspects of yourself and life. And, you know, you're not really getting that. We're not really getting that messaging I think <laughs> from media I mean, or popular culture or even religions, most, you know, but Western religions, you know? Totally. I yeah. think what we're getting is a fundamental disrespect for life, human life and, you know, life on this planet. It's fundamentally disrespectful to the precious human beings that we all are. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we're not somehow less than because we have wrinkles or gained in pounds. It's like we're still miraculous creations yeah i mean so i really am not trying to um be contrarian and i i largely agree with you but i think it's a slippery slope you know i think my thought would be like unless i may maybe there's somebody out there there's not but i feel like we all have varying degrees of dysfunction Mm. and like we you know we all are have our things that we're doing and uh, maybe when we all attain the rainbow body and have enlightenment, we won't. But, you know, right. and so if somebody, I think, carries their dysfunction in a way that's obvious, it doesn't make their their humanness any less valuable as opposed to somebody whose dysfunction is maybe very well concealed. That's a good point. Yeah, I think maybe like without all give you guys an interesting anecdote. So I was at Disneyland about seven months ago with a close friend and mentor of mine. And it was an, an interesting trip because we had all partaken in some enhancements, I guess is, is um, the most politically correct way I can describe it. And we were having fun walking around. And what I noticed, it's so difficult for me to even say this because I don't, I don't want to portray myself as someone who well, I'll, I'll just tell you the anecdote. So I turned to him once. I was, I was in this hyper-observant state because I was, 
my consciousness had been tweaked by these enhancements. And I was, I was just looking around and the vast majority of the people in this park were like, they were overweight to a degree, but it was something more than that. It was like their bodies had no shape. They were like, and they were kind of these, like they couldn't really walk properly. They were kind of lumbering like this, like these lumbering kind of, and I remember I turned to my friend and I said, man, like, do you see this as well? Like, am I imagining this? Like these people, like they don't really look like humans in the traditional sense. They seem to be, you know, like there's something like there's some sort of deviance that's happened here, right? Like, and he said, yeah, and I noticed that as well. And then I said, like, I hate being judgmental about it. I'm, I'm not trying to be judgmental. And he stopped me and he said, judgment is the beginning of discernment. There, there are times when you have to make judgments. You have to look at something and be like, there is something wrong with that. You know, like we have to judge child abusers. We have to make judgments on that, right? We can't just be like, oh, you know, love and light and rainbow road and everything. Like we have to say that there's something wrong with that, right? Mm -hmm. And look, I'm not a specimen of health. I'm in good health, but I'm definitely not like, like you guys and I'm not like Thomas. So I'm not putting myself on some sort of like high horse, but I do look at, it comes back to the beginning of the conversation we're having, and I look at modern society and I see that like physically as a species, it's causing us to devolve. And that's no one specific individual's fault. Like when I see the person who weighs 450 pounds on a little scooter in Walmart, I don't judge them. Well, I do judge them. I make a judgment. That's not healthy, but it's not like them at their core. I'm like, there is something wrong here. There is, there is some like issue yeah. here at play in the society that we have to address right and that is not that is not okay for human beings to be like that it's not okay right no, no, no. it doesn't mean i think that they're a bad person and i understand that there's probably something so deep in their psyche about how they were denied something in their childhood or they they lived from a place of scarcity because they were abused or and i, I don't look down on them i'm just like damn this this is not it's not okay it needs to be addressed and helped right no, no. I mean, it's representative. Like we've just, like we've been talking about of a, of a, I think a dramatic imbalance in our society, in the way we live our lives, in our, our understanding of our, of our bodies and our health and, and how to exist in a balanced way with our environment. Because this environment that we've created over, over time ha is not, is not helping us. Like you said, yeah. you have to fight for health and, not everyone has an equal fight or an equal amount of fight or the e equal ability to fight, perhaps. Not to say that we shouldn't, I think, strive for balance and ultimate health because I think there's probably a, you know, I, I believe there's a connection between, you know, physical health and, and our happiness and our ability to, you know, live our lives to our fullest potential, mm -hmm. you know? So it's a, something we should strive for. And you know, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I think ultimately modern life just really challenges our ability to be happy. I have yeah. a, while, while I have two, I'm going to, if you don't mind, I'm going to segue this conversation just a little bit. I've never had two Chinese medicine masters in front of you. I've always only had one, which has been Ashley or another uh, Chinese medicine doctor. I wanted to ask you guys, because you both studied at the same time, if I'm not mistaken, and you both worked together, uh, running, running, um, your very successful Chinese medicine practice. What were your biggest misconceptions about Chinese medicine or, or, that you discovered when you when you began studying that? I didn't really understand that it's a full it's a full medical practice. So it's an observation based medicine, and it can treat everything. And I didn't really fully understand that when I started. 
So we're just like Western doctors in the sense that obviously we can't do the same things that Western doctors do. However, it is an observation-based medicine that aims to treat the total body. So if you have menstrual problems or migraines or you broke your arm or whatever it is, it's, it's a full medical field. And then I think the biggest misconception that I also see about Chinese medicine is people think it's just an energy-based medicine. And that's not really accurate. It's both. It's a physical and an energetic medicine. And I think when people say like, oh, you know, it's just balancing your energy, I think that that does a disservice to the medicine. So I think those were my two biggest sort of misunderstandings before I started. Yeah, I agree with that, Anna. And I would say for me, I, you know, I didn't, I had experienced it personally and it had a a really profound effect on my health. And that's kind of what inspired me to pursue it because I, I just, I believed in it so, so passionately. But as I started to study it, I didn't realize that there were so many layers, I guess, so many layers to the medicine, so many rabbit holes. It, and it can be very frustrating and challenging because when you're when you're trying to learn this medicine, you really want things to hold on to, like rules, you know, hard mm. rules that you that you always apply. But it seems as like the more you learn, the more you realize that there's always a different way to approach a condition or um, a, you know a patient, and and there are many different ways to practice this medicine. There are many different styles. Um, many different approaches in 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 the sense of needling, in the sense of uh, you can use herbal medicine, like many modalities. It, it's very complex, but it's also very very simple because ultimately it comes it comes down to living in bal- living in harmony with nature. You know, these are kind of mm. some of the, like most fundamental principles of it. So, you guys, it, it's my understanding. Uh, please tell me, like, if this is accurate or not. You guys have a your practice is a wellness practice that is based on the foundation of Chinese medicine, but you, you also deviate from that a little bit, right? Like you'll add in whatever you feel works, right? Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'd just be really interested to know, I mean, what I'm always looking for in my life is like leverage points. Because um, I've just been so impressed by how you can, you can find a leverage point in something you're involved in, whether it's a project or a, field of study or practice and that leverage point can increase your results uh like five ten hundred x sometimes mm-hmm. so i'm someone who doesn't get chinese medicine often I'm, i probably should i did one session with ashley which i really enjoyed but i haven't haven't been back because i've been too busy what i'm asking is how, what like do you guys have any like hacks like leverage points that you could just tell anyone listening including myself you know, that would instantly improve the quality of their health. No, that's a really good question. Like, I mean, I, I, I'm yeah. guessing like drinking water, like is one of them or like everyone talks about stuff like that, but I'm sure you guys have got even more arcane and powerful uh, knowledge than that. Yeah. I think if you can't get acupuncture on a regular basis, which a lot of us can't, I think a good herbal formula that's like suited that you've had an herbal consultation for and is suited to your needs can be life changing, frankly. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be like complicated. It can be, you know, just a tea that you make in the morning and that can change your life. So, yeah, I can just say I've noticed, uh, like, I think it comes, you guys, please correct me if I'm wrong. 
But I noticed cordyceps. I take a very strong cordyceps product. And man, that thing, you know, this supplements, we all take so many different supplements and sometimes you've got no idea if it's working or not. And every now and then you take one and you're like, wow, that thing definitely makes a difference. And for me, cordyceps is one of those. I noticed my, my lung capacity and my endurance since I started taking that is just, this is night and day. It's totally different. Um, that, yep. that is a Chinese uh, mushroom, right? Or a Chinese. Is that our endurance? No, I didn't even know you guys had a cordyceps blend. Otherwise, I would have bugged you for some. <laughs> I, I can talk to the owner, see if we can get you a free one. Yeah, so test my arm and my back. I'll yeah. definitely take you up on that. We we created an herbal formula for the the runners at the Malibu Half Marathon this year. So we actually did a podcast about it. Oh, you told me about that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's what cordyceps in it as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a handful oh, okay. of other Chinese herbs that help with lung capacity and recovery and um, oxygenating okay. the cells. And it, it's a it's a really wonderful formula. So. Thank you. I, I would really love to try, but that, that cordyceps experience, that to me really opened my eyes to the power of, of supplementation and, and not chemical supplementation, you know, like, so yeah, thanks for sharing that one. That was a really cool one. Um, yeah, no, I think I, know, I need to come to you guys and get like a full like profile analysis done and then you can recommend what formula I should be taking for myself because I really believe in that at the moment. Totally. Absolutely. And, you know, you can do that over Zoom as well. Like that's the, be- that's the beauty of herbal medicine. You can, you can, you know, talk to someone, we can have a conversation with someone and, and gather the information that we need to, to put together a formula. So okay. er- you're right. And I agree. Herbs can be very, very powerful. I also think another thing that if people can get acupuncture, I think a, a really important and powerful principle is, is to, Use it before you have a problem. <laughs> using using this medicine preventatively is incredibly powerful and preventative. Just that. I mean, it's mm. it is um, an incredible medicine for balancing your body and keeping problems from arising, chronic, acute uh, injuries, diseases, imbalances, what have you. It just fortifies you. You know. Um, mm-hmm strengthens you in in a really uh, sustainable way it's not like coffee gives you energy it's it's like actually like de- mm-hmm. like cultivating your energy and balancing your immune system and your hormones which all of these things come into play with with chronic diseases and other problems it's uh so would it be would it be fair to say that chinese medicine or would it be accurate to say that chinese medicine believes that Chronic diseases are just an imbalance that's uh, continued for too long and ultimately become something chronic or something acute. Yeah, that's pretty much the long of the short of it. Sometimes you can be genetically set up for something. So again, that's why the preventative treatments are so helpful. You know, the saying is that genetics loads the gun and then your environment pulls the trigger. Yeah, so, I heard that. Yeah, so if you can, um, you know, nurture what you have now, but basically a shorthand way of thinking about it is a balance an imbalance that's gone on for so long that it becomes then an illness mm-hmm. interesting so i'd love i'd love to ask you guys in the context of uh like i'm just using an example because i know it's what you're working on at the moment uh, i know you guys have a if i'm not mistaken a fertility program where you've been having great results help- helping women get pregnant generally like uh, can you pinpoint that down to one thing that like that causes that and that that is it a multitude of factors and that's different for everyone well i think it's different for everyone so we always 
put people, the ladies that we work with on an herbal formula, which helps helps their stress level, helps actually their uterus tone, the tone of their uterus. Yeah, helps with circulation. And then acupuncture has been shown to help women conceive, um, maintain pregnancies, and then have a he- healthy labor. And there's several ways that it does that. One of the primary ways that I feel like is so just completely disregarded in Western medicine is stress. Stress has been shown to pretty severely impact a person's ability to conceive. And so acupuncture immediately puts your body into the parasympathetic state, your rest and digest state. So (laughs) if you are living in a stressful society like Los Angeles, uh, you come to acupuncture on a regular basis, you're training basically your body how to be in a rest and digest state. What acupuncture does is it'll balance your hormones. Western medicine has shown that through several studies. They don't understand why uh, from a Western medicine perspective. But if you have a hormone imbalance, Chinese medicine can help help balance it. So for somebody who has like PCOS, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, acupuncture has been shown to be really impactful for that. Obviously, along with it, of course. And then finally, it also increases circulation to the uterus. Well, I guess not finally. It improves egg quality. It improves sperm count and quality. So if you're having any issues with that, am I missing something, Ashley? Did I hit the ball? Oh, that was perfect. Yeah. It's so, so It's so interesting to me because, you know, like, look, again, I don't have kids, so I'm not exactly the poster boy for this argument, but it's my understanding that, like, you know, mo- most of the time when people are struggling to have children, they, they'll immediately go and use western avenues like ivf right but it's generally like if if the organism is not reproducing it's logically to me it makes sense that that is indicative that the organism is not in optimum health because you know just like it's it's the species kind of survival strategy to only propagate healthy duplications right like so it makes sense to to do something like that, to do Chinese medicine and get yourself as healthy as possible before if that, if that if you're having an issue with fertility, right? Because I remember I met this really interesting guy in Australia many years ago, supremely healthy individual, the healthiest. I actually say I always joke. Actually, he, he and Thomas are the two healthiest people I've ever met, <laughs> right? Um, and I remember he was he was giving us a lecture and he was saying like, healthy people are always horny because the organism is saying, "Yeah, this is a this this is good. We're good to go. Let's pass it on, right?" And that always stuck with me. And I've, yeah, I've I've looked at my life and realized, yeah, like when I'm stressed and run down and not feeling great, my sex drive like is in the toilet. And when I'm feeling great and in my parasympathetic nervous system and feeling, you know, good, like let's go. <laughs> so it it makes sense to me that you would address the health of the organism first and then reset and try to to reproduce after that. And then if that doesn't work, okay, then let's go nuclear and do IVF or whatever the next option is. Absolutely. No, you, mm. that's absolutely the way I think that that's the healthiest way to approach it for sure. You know, and the, the, another factor I think that people don't often consider is the impact on your body after you have the baby. I think a lot of people are so focused, so laser focused on just trying to get pregnant and trying to to have a baby and not enough emphasis is placed on what kind of toll that takes on your body 
to have a baby and then the potential trauma in the aftermath. And if you're not healthy going into that, you're really, um, you know, creating a potential for some very real challenges, you know, potentially mm-hmm. devastating challenges in, in your postpartum period and also mm-hmm. leading into menopause. You know, in ancient texts, they never talked about menopause. And some may say, oh, maybe it was like a, a, a longevity thing, like people weren't living long enough. But no, I mean, people were living beyond what we would call menopause, but it wasn't such a, a, a rough transition. It wasn't expected mm-hmm. to be a, um, you know, a painful, horrible time of suffering that women just had mm-hmm. to endure. It was a much smoother uh, shift into your post-reproductive years. That, that a lot of that had to do with the way people were living. And this goes back again to just the sure. lifestyle, right? And so just- Yeah, to that makes total sense to me. Yes. To, to go into it in you know a state of optimal health, as, as optimal as you can be, is ideal. And you're really setting mm-hmm. yourself and your child up for um, greater health in the long run. Like from a Chinese medicine perspective, is are people still expected to have- very high levels of energy if they're healthy well well into their 40s and 50s or or i just love some illumination on that um well there are definitely herbal formulas that would help with that and give you actual like um healthy energy not like coffee for example like ashley mm-hmm. was saying but chinese medicine talks about stages of development right ashley you're gonna have to help me out to get the actual um the actual ages, right? Seven years. Um, seven years of development. It's actually really um, depressing because I and think basically all your teeth should have fallen out and you are done. You're toast. And, you know, you kind of think it was this breakout was done thousands of years ago, right? So mm-hmm. people were aging, I guess, quickly, but. But the idea is that, yes, there are ways to cultivate your chi. For example, yes, there are things that you should be doing that can help you have as much energy as possible. And yes, you can live to 100 and live healthily and die peacefully in your sleep without being in a nursing home. And Chinese medicine would say that's 100% possible. And yes, you should be achieving that and you can achieve that. And I think Chinese medicine would also say life is a beautiful flower that blooms. And just like a flower that blooms, you have the stages of the bud and then the flower opens and the leaves fall off. And that there is a natural cycle to that. So you can, like I said, cultivate your chi, cultivate your life force, take care of yourself. And there's a cycle to your life that Mm -hmm. is unavoidable. Beautifully said. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's, I've never heard that, that flower analogy. That's, wow. That's pretty deep. Yeah. Well, now whenever I look at flowers, I get sad because I'm like, oh, I'm going to die in a bit. You just fucking ruined flowers for me. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thank you so much for being on our show. I always love speaking to people like the people who are genuine and authentic and who actually have something to say. People who have accomplished something in the world. As I always say, walk the walk instead of just talking the talk. And when you look at these two ladies, you can see they claim to be health experts and they look healthy. You know, they have nice skin, they have nice hair, they have good posture, they have clear, bright eyes. So it says something. And 
I don't like to be someone, I, I try not to be overly judgmental, even though, as I mentioned in the episode, you, you can frame judgment as a form of discernment, but I still don't like doing it. But having said that, I think there are certain times, specifically when it comes to health, where it's appropriate to ask the question, does the person who is trying to tell you that they're an expert in health look healthy? To me, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I've been to a couple of doctors in my life that they just looked like wrecks. And I, I remember specifically the one was trying to get me to take uh, medication for something and I hadn't. It was there was no real flexibility, or he wasn't open to considering an exercise intervention or nutrition intervention. He was just like, no, no, you just got to take this pill, take this pill. And I remember that was the thing. You know, I don't think I would have taken the pill anyway. But the fact that I I just looked at him and I was like, this guy just does not look vibrant or healthy. Was it played a role in my decision to not take that medication? And subsequently, I've subsequently realized that that was the right choice because those medications have far more side effects than they have benefits. And the thing he claimed was a problem, which was a, an issue on my blood panel, has never bothered me. And I've read a lot of, oh, I've read some science saying that it's nothing to even be concerned about. But anyway, the point is, these women walk the walk as well as talking the talk. And I really hope that you enjoyed the conversation with them. And I hope it helped you start thinking about your health, perhaps in a different way. I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you so much for listening to the show. And yeah, I appreciate all your feedback and comments and the reviews on iTunes. It all means so much to me. You know, this show is, I don't want to say a labor of love because I don't really consider it labor, but you know, a lot, a lot does go into it and I mainly do it for fun. It's not a money-making enterprise. You know, this. Sometimes I'll have a sponsor on that'll pay some of the bills, but it's generally not a large source of income for me. Uh, and in fact, some months it costs more than it brings in. So any support you guys give, whether it's just thanking me for the show or leaving a review on iTunes or visiting one of the sponsors, it really does mean a lot to me and it makes all the difference. So thank you so much for listening and I'll be back with you guys in another week. Until then. Remember, we're all alone in this together. Mm-hmm.